Are you a business owner looking for real advice and input? You're in the right place. From concept to launch to growth, funding and beyond. Welcome to Startup Hustle with your hosts. One once sold a business for $150 million. The other, the author of Million Dollar Bedroom. Here are your hosts of Startup Hustle, Matt DeCourcy and Matt Watson. And we're back. Another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here with Matt Watson. Hi, Matt. I don't know if we can talk today without proper disclaimers. Breaking the law. Like that? I'm feeling, I'm nervous. Breaking, you're worried that you're going to speak out of turn? Yeah, I was saying something I shouldn't say or something. Is, is that a common legal issue? Yes. With and around you? Yes. I'm worried that we're going to unveil a whole lot of reasons today why we haven't properly, properly set up the business known as Startup Hustle. We don't have any documentation about startup hustle as a business i what guess that's a great point and even though this, this is a business yeah but i and by the way um even though we don't like to talk about timestamp things go chiefs trying to turn the sign red as we speak but anyway yeah, so everybody can see it on the podcast so with us today we have well you know what i do need to mention that today's episode of startup hustle is brought to you by fullscale.io help you build software development teams quickly and affordably. Oh yeah. So you can win. Now with us today, we have Sheila Sec, who is the owner and managing partner of Sec Associates. Now I want you to be interactive and go to Sec, that's S-E-C-K, associates.com. So you can see what we're talking about today. Hello, Sheila. Good morning. What a great day. It is a great day here. We're all wearing red. It is. We are all wearing red, which you can see firsthand on the Startup Hustle YouTube channel. You can see the big smiles that we have on our faces because our hometown Chiefs are oh, yeah. Super Bowl champions. It's now in like a week and a half or two weeks when this comes out. It won't seem like a big deal. But today, we're winning. Okay. And then back to law. <laughs> oh, it no. always gets back to law. Yeah. So, well, first off, Sheila, we've actually used your services before, so we can say that that has gone well. Um, we've invited you to come in to talk about common startup legal issues, and that could theoretically be like a ten-part series. I'm sure we're going to try to keep it um, keep it somewhat streamlined, which isn't something lawyers are great at always. We're not known for that. No, try, though. we won't send, we won't do any redlining of this episode. Um, do you want to give us a little background about your firm? And once again, secassociates.com is a good place to go check that out. But what you guys do and, you know, like law, just saying you're a lawyer is kind of like saying, yeah, I work in tech. Agreed. It's, yeah. So we are a law firm that helps uh, businesses transition through the change that business navigate change. And we work with a lot of tech startups. So tech ha- startups typically have some unique things to consider protection of intellectual property um, kind of start with the goals of the uh, founders. What do they want? Do they want to have partners? Uh, are they going to look, raise capital? Are they going to, do they have enough rev- revenue generation that they don't need to bring in partners? Do they hate a partner they want to buy out? So there's a broad mm. range of things that happen during a startup phase. I keep saying yes, 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 yes. Mm-hmm. In my head. Yeah, to which part? <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Wait a minute. Every entrepreneur has a bad partner story. Yes. Yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I even have one, and I that I wrote about in a book. Um, a lot of times, people start businesses and then figure out a lot of the details afterward. Right. Which 
I mean, it's, there's reasons for that because I think the a lot of people have accidentally started their business. Yes. Um, well, you don't know if this thing's going to work. Yeah, right. sure. Like it's you're like, kind of monkeying around. You we're going to set up a revenue, lemon sta- right. lemonade stand. We don't really know what's going to happen, but we'll set it up. And then if it goes really well, you're next like, oh, thing you man. know, there's a line around the corner yeah. and you're like, wait, do we need to franchise this? And that's where things get kind of scary. Right. Um, I've made a lot of these mistakes myself. And right. And it does not to be a, a total shill here, but in my book, Million Dollar Bedroom, I pretty much write about all the stupid shit we did getting the business started up and, and have continued over the 10 years since then to watch people make a lot of really common and at this point, predictable mistakes. Agreed. Is that fair to say? I think that's fair to say. And I think um, Matt makes a good point that when you're just getting started and you don't have a lot of money and you're like, is this a real business? They don't, you don't want to spend your limited capital on attorney. So you might do it yourself or use legal zoom or something like that. Would not, not, I, I did that before and that's not <laughs> always the best approach. I mean, some, yeah. some things, especially software related things kind of start as like weird little side projects. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, a couple people get together and they're like, ah, I want to make this weird thing that solves this problem. Maybe somebody will like it. I'll use it. We have no idea where this is going to go. Probably will go nowhere 90% of the time. Well, and I think that's sometimes why you don't spend a ton of money building the legal structure around it. Because you're like, okay, I'm already like out on a limb here. At the same time, you got to start to build some. Right. Again, it's a balancing act. But I've often seen some uh, startups who end up doing really well. But when they were poor, they gave away like 25% of their business for 10 grand. Yeah. So yeah. it's a huge windfall for early investors. And um, I w- often feel sorry for those founders who have gra- you know, done all the heavy lifting. And So when, when do you think people need to get some legal paperwork in place? I think that's a good place when to it, start. When, it, yeah. when is yeah. that yeah. time? I think when you think that you have a real business, if, like you said, if it's a side project and you don't really know, but the minute you, you know, bring on a partner or think, you know, I'm going to go to market with this, you know, you need to have that all At least place. by the time you start getting some revenue coming in, For, oh, right? Absolutely. Oh, easily by then. Yeah. If you've gotten to that far and you're you don't have some late. stuff in place. I think if you're putting any amount of money into <laughs> it is also a pretty Investing good signal money. flag that like, that's a green, like, Hey, we should probably get some things yeah. lined out now. I mean, I don't mean not like $10 a month for your GoDaddy website. No, right. no. Right. Like if Any you're like, kind hey, of real I'm consequential put, yeah, right. money. So is it now I've actually had, it's funny. I created what I call the agreement to agree. Yeah. Which is probably, I don't know, maybe legally is binding. Is that a handshake? No, it's not. It's actually just like, uh, it, I jokingly. It's a fist bump. It, no, it's a one piece page, like a one page piece of paper that says, Hey, we have the intention to do something here, but we acknowledge that we don't have that fully defined, Yeah, that's- but we're going to, it's so one person doesn't run away with the other thing, you know, or like, I don't know. I mean, it's like I said, it's kind of just an agreement in principle that, Hey, we're partnering on something. We've got a lot to define and this and that. And it makes me feel a little better about continuing to, like I said, it's not, it doesn't define equity, ownership, anything like that. It's kind of, a, I, I, I don't even know if that's helpful. applicable. Yeah, but it feels helpful. Probably the only thing is if somebody took an idea and it became really valuable, you would have some evidence that you were going to be a partial owner. Well, that's part of it. At yeah. the most. It yeah. doesn't bring you much protection, though. Yeah, I get it. No, I get it. I, it, say- I think what it does is it calms the mind and it lets you put you on a path towards doing real stuff. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay, so with common legal, it's co- common startup legal issues, and I don't even think that I think we need to broaden this out to just 
startup businesses in general, not even just tech. What's, what's the number one thing you see people flopping on? That they don't get their ownership and buy, sell in in place with all their partners. Yeah. Amen on that. And then as the uh, additional is that they give way too much uh, equity away early on to people who aren't really key to the business. What, What do you mean by buy, sell? Um, you know, what happens if somebody wants out of the business, if somebody dies, if you have conflict, who gets to vote on certain things? Um, what's going to happen when things are not in the honeymoon stage? So, by the way, this is a good opportunity, and this wasn't intended to be anything <clears throat> other than informative, but I mentioned that you did, you actually helped us set up full scale. I think so, yeah. You know, you did. Right. Yeah. And with that, you put a few things in there um, that I hadn't actually seen before. But one of the things, and we're not going to get into the details of it, but I'd never seen some, a marital joinder um, or certain things like that. And, you know, these are things that give some definition to, you mentioned the buy-sell, right. like what happens if, um, you know, someone dies, gets divorced, something like that. And if Matt dies, I do not want to be business partners with his wife. Exactly. And that's very I common. love you, Jill, but. Well, and, and she doesn't want to do that either. So there were things in there that would define what that potential value those are the scenarios could, would be. And those are all the things we talk with clients about, like what are the triggering events that would change yeah. the business in a dramatic way? And how do you as owners want to handle that? It's, you know, can be very customized. Yeah. And, you know, I, I was surprised. To, Wait a second. I was, Jill might be a better business partner than you. No. No. Do you know why? No. Because she's not interested or passionate about the business. Yeah. True. And that's and that's where that's a problem. Now, I was surprised to be surprised at having not seen that prior because I've seen things that I – all right. So, my dad is an attorney and um, that being, that gives me very little experience with law other than him talking about it with me over the years. I mean, I hate it when people are like, my dad's a lawyer and okay, but you're not. Right. That's dumb. But with that, we've had a lot of conversations. And one thing he always uh, kind of impressed upon me was that a good contract ha- covers rainy and mm-hmm. sunny days. Right. It's like fences make good neighbors. Right. Yeah. And I think the mistake that a lot of people make with their original documentation is that they only consider sunny days. Right. Yeah. And then they end up fighting. I, I you went this, through that event, didn't you? Well, yes, I did. But even more recently, I had this issue with me and a couple friends bought something together and we were going to share it together. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> and then one of us decides that we don't want to share it together, but we have no way to unwind this thing. Or buy out. Yes. Typically, we always have what happens if one partner wants out? Are yeah. the rest of you willing to buy him out? Or Which, by the way, is common in very early stage yes. businesses because if you have three founders, two of them are passionate and one of them might not be and then they want to step out. Now, the issue you have, I kind of ran into that with the very first business I started. And this is what I talked about in Million Dollar Bedroom is I sold too much of my company for too little. And then I had a a, a twenty five percent partner that wasn't making any contrib- contribution. Like my and, original example. Yeah, exactly. And so the thing is, is as I realized we were really onto something, I had to put myself in a situation where I felt comfortable doing all the work, which meant I, in order to do that, I needed to feel like I had to buy back that twenty five percent. And the reason was was there were things that I wanted to do over and above what we were doing. He didn't want to do any of them because it would cost money to basically research and develop some things. And I just didn't like having to continually explain that. And we had equal voting rights, even though I owned 75%, he owned 25%. It just wasn't need a good lawyer. It wasn't planned out well. Well, we did literally legal zoomed it. 
Well, and back in my Vin Solutions days, we ran into the problem of needing to fire one of the partners. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you guys had the goofiest structure that early, in the early about, days like, of that business. That it was super set up majority. Where, like thing. everybody had to agree. That's uh, and, and that's tough. And that's really hard because in that case, a minority shareholder can really be a veto if yes. you need super majority. And that was five people, right? Yeah. Yeah. Getting five people to agree on anything. Right. It's tough. And then also when you get down the road and the stakes get a little higher, people have different motivations. Like you mentioned at one point as as you came closer to an exit, there was became a little some minor squabbles around like just the path or like yeah. once you realize, oh, wow, this is this, pre- is, worth this is pretty damn valuable. It became what like, almost like a land grab yep. kind of feeling, yep. and you know, I mean that. But I think that's kind of natural at that point. I mean, right. do you want? Okay, so if you're going to get the difference between twenty or thirty million dollars, is that worth haggling a bit? Maybe, yes, maybe. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, by the way, I want to second your motion, Your Honor. Um, I see this all the time. People throwing around equity like they're like, like they're firing a money gun at a strip club. I mean, because it really is. And you hear, oh, well, I'm giving this person 20%. I'm like, it would start with two. Right. And have two. it vested or they have to forfeit it if they leave. Yeah. There's a lot of protection. I think the vesting thing. And so how do you do that? Vesting is is giving someone in a, in a, a proportionate share compared to the amount of time that they have offered useful or valid service. Is that a fair way to say that? Yeah. Or you give them an equity grant, some amount of equity, but they don't it's subject to forfeiture until like one year two years and then they own it all i think that's the most important thing here is the vesting i think the mistake that people make is they try to give someone 20 percent of the company and they for someone that is also collecting a salary that doesn't even have like a specific type like where's the value well you're just giving away equity to give it away and here's the other part of this right is you you start this business and you need help Right. Yes. So you throw equity at people to get their help and to and maybe get some people you can't afford, get them to make a take a lower salary. All that stuff makes sense, right? But then let's say the business starts going well. I convince you to come work for Stackfire or whatever to be a salesperson because supposedly you're a good salesperson. Well, <laughs> then, supposedly. The, then the business starts to grow. And then I figure out you're a terrible sales manager. And you are not like you can be a salesperson, but you are not like the future brain trust of director of sales or any of that kind of stuff. Probably true. Now, what do I do? That happens all yeah. the time. Now, what do I do? Typically, we draft uh, clawbacks for if somebody's fired for cause or we can buy at a heavily discounted amount. We do anything. We. I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean that he's a bad employee, but it, it will create some weird tension when I hire a director of sales later. But. Yeah, he's an equity owner, and that may be fine, but maybe it can I, create maybe some I have weird. A board. I might have a board. I mean, if, if anything, here. it may be a problem as he his ego won't take it. He came in at the ground floor, and also likely now I've got to hire somebody else to manage him. But typically, create some weird problems. Typically, though, somebody in that position, you would fire and you would get their equity back. Ah, you're that, out of here. Okay, but now I'd have to say, at what cost? We define it in our agreement. There you go. Wow, we defined. A rainy day scenario. Exactly. Yeah. And I think now that let's, let's talk about that from the other side and being the recipient. I think you have to try to always give yourself future thinking about, you know, are, are you also putting yourself in a situation where you can get screwed? Yes. 
And that, I mean, that can happen a lot as well, right? Right. Which I've seen where just people can vote their partners, you know, off the island. Yeah. And say you've built a, you know, 60 million revenue company in a couple of years. And you're like, mm, there's three of us. But if there was only two, we'd make a lot more money. You got money. to go. You got, exactly. <laughs> and there's some, been some big um, examples of that have been on the front page of the Business Journal. And when I read their operating agreement, I was shocked that they you know, sign that. But, you know, these people, you know, they had not seen a lot of partnership operating agreements. They probably didn't really understand how it happened. They're all in the honeymoon phase of being partners and wildly successful. But if you have a way to get somebody out and you can make more money, it happens all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's use the social network movie as a good example. And, you know, Eduardo um, in that situation was in a was able to be diluted down to next to nothing and wasn't paying attention. And he signed it. Now he ended up suing later and got a pretty fat judgment out of it. But you're talking about owning what, 25% yeah. or something of what is one of the world's most valuable companies. Right. The couple hundred million dollar settlement he got was peanuts right? compared to what the value of what that could have been later. Um, and that's just situations where you're not in a good spot. Now I'll give you an opposing example. So at full scale, Matt and I own 50, 50, and we don't have a whole bunch of stuff defined as far as tiebreakers. Now, Matt and I had known each other for a while. We felt comfortable with needing to agree on certain stuff, not just, hey, it's what I want to do or it's what he wants to do. So we settle things with rock, paper, scissors. Yeah, which I always win. So I get method. my way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, sometimes flipping a coin might be as as easy as other stuff, but agree. But in that particular situation, because full scale is the like full scale uh, owns startup hustle. It owns some other things that we invest in. It owns the company that we technically also have in the Philippines that has 200 employees and stuff like that. So, you know, we were okay with that. And we were legally advised to not by you to not do that, which is fair. It's good advice, but at sometimes you know, now if we had five people, I would have said, no, that's crazy. Cause we'll never get anyone to agree. Yeah. It, yeah. I, we never recommend 50, 50, but it just in such fact specific, like in your case, you would have just said, we want to be 50, 50. We want to yeah. risk it that we can work through any concerns that we have. Part, part of that discussion was the possibility of, of like, while we haven't taken outside investment, um, in an equity kind of way, if we did, that might be that person that had a deciding vote. But I mean, every, every situation's different. And, you know, that's, these things are, are very, very, very much worth discussing yes. ahead of time. And by the way, as a founder, don't, don't give those shares away. Like think you got to think about where you're going to be in three years. And if you, or two years or one year, and if you're thinking, okay, I want to raise a million dollars in capital. Okay, at what valuation are you doing that? And then think about what that equity that you're that giving you're, away does. Yeah, that you're throwing everywhere. What the, what the value of that? So is. can we can we talk for a second about giving away stock because yeah. there's multiple ways to do it. Right. Can you talk us through like different ways you would do that with a founder or a key employee or? Right. So typically, if you have co-founders or you bring on some developers early on, they're just going to get common stock, and you may a lot of people just go, "I want to give you know, Matt three percent and." Bobby, 5%. Does that have a tax implication at that point, though? Hopefully, the, because the value, you know, it's a startup, the value is zero at that okay. time. So it's really a tax great. That's something for, we didn't even talk about. For tax That's purposes, a great time too, yeah. to uh, give away equity. But then later on, you would have an investing schedule. Once you start getting outside in institutional investments, uh, they all want you to have a stock option plan in place. That's typically, you know, 7 to 20% of your equity. equity. 
and they want that available for key employees. And that usually has vesting schedules and rights to forfeiture and that kind of thing. And there's strategy with that too. Like Mm -hmm. having, uh, I'm a big vested interest person, just meaning like as your company now at the same time, I'm going to say this, like we don't currently do this at full scale because we're still on some levels, like figuring out like some of it, right? We're still a startup. Yeah. I mean, we're less than two years old and some of that stuff, it's like, who are the key employees? And we've seen some that we thought might be come and go. And made different changes and found different things to focus on over time. So I I think you always feel like you're a startup as long as you're growing, because the person who might be your COO at year two may not be the right fit at year five. So that's changing all. Yeah. And that's part of like, it's part of our future plans. But until we really find that, that mix, that lineup that works. Mm -hmm. So let me go back to uh, Matt's question about equity. And there are a lot of ways you can incentivize employees without giving away equity. You could get restricted you know, stock appreciation rights, phantom equity, you know, a bonus plan. Phantom equity sounds yeah. scary. Yeah. <laughs> so the Does it wear a mask? It does. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. What is phantom equity? So phantom equity just tracks the valuation of the company. So you can structure it as contractual. It's not real equity. So I see. you can say, hey, our company's ten, worth $10 million when you started. You're going to uh, have 5% of any growth over $10 million. It's going to vest over time. We're going to pay you cash after the vesting is over, like in five years. So you can structure that a lot of different ways. You need to make sure that if you're a founder and you're doing these things, that you, that the implications of any kind of buybacks and stuff like that aren't going to create, aren't going to cripple you later. Because they yes. they could, they could like, I mean, all of a sudden you hit some, you hit some milestone and now you've got to, you know, okay, it's like a completely different issue that you've got to rise up and overcome one of one of my favorite things when we sold then was we had about we we used uh, what was called profit interest only yes stock, we do that too which was mm-hmm. a, these are yeah. all just different uh non-equity and that, mechanisms and that particular that's also relieve yourself of a potential tax event right although it's it, since it's just cash you know it's ordinary income for mm. employees but but the the key thing there for me it was really cool <laughs> After we sold the business, we had like 10 employees that were like millionaires. That nice. Day, which yeah. was really cool. Mm-hmm. Really cool feeling to, you know, people that really contributed to the growth, you know, and building the company. And, and some of them came along a lot later. They weren't necessarily early employees. They were key hires later down the road, too. Right. So and it was really cool. Cool moment. Yeah. We share it with them. Yeah. There's a lot of different ways to uh, get non-equity <sighs> Incentive, you know, incentivize your key employees yeah. without giving away equity. And were, were you distracted by the glitz and glamour of the of of the photographs being taken? So much. Do you know that you can find those yeah, the at, on the at Startup Hustle podcast Instagram? Oh, usually, yeah. Um, and my lovely face is on YouTube. Okay, so with the partnership issues and equity, then we I want to move on to some of the other things on the list after this. This stuff's all important. You know, valuation is always I always get a kick out yeah. of people's valuation. Um, so before we get into that, I'm going to say you're, if you don't have any outside money coming in at at any point, I don't think you can have a valuation. I mean, you can maybe later on down the road, but not in an early stage kind of way. Um, Someone else's money coming in can validate your valuation. Um, but so I see people all the time. They're like, yeah, they're in year one. They barely have, they have a, barely have any revenue. They don't even have a full market ready. And they're like, we're worth 4 million bucks. I'm like, to who? Yeah. 
And I think the corollary to that is, and then they'll do a pitch and literally every pitch says in five years, we're going to be worth a hundred million. Right. And it's always a hundred million. Get back to me in five years then. Yes. Well, and part of that is most investors won't invest anything unless it can get to that level. Scale that way. Right. And and that's one of the things that people need to understand that are listening right now is if you've got a business that you don't think it's ever going to be work, you know, do more than a million dollars in revenue or something like nobody will ever invest in it. You're like, never, never, ever, ever forget it. Well, so some of the things when I say that and the reason that I think the outside money is a validating factor because it actually does set a, in a bit, a, in, a, in some way, a street price, meaning these are people that aren't, oh, that they don't work at your business right. um, and we don't disclose terms, but I'll give you an example was Healthy Hip Hop and Healthy Hip Hop just actually has taken some money in for equity stakes and it had a couple uh, at a couple points in the timeline but that was also a company that got a hell of a lot of grant money from a lot of different people that grant money didn't do shit to raise the valuation other than like the typical post money kind of style hey there's some more money in the bank right but as different tranches of, of investment came in for small percentages, it did raise the price. And now you actually say, hey, look, at this point that, that someone that doesn't work here put money in at this point and this valuation, and then someone else did it at a later valuation at a higher point. Now, now I can say, hey, this our shares are worth X. That doesn't mean I can sell them to anyone. Right. Yeah. Yeah, because obviously when you go out to raise capital, you just want to get the highest number sure. that can stick. And a lot of times, you know, the investors will either say no or push back and tell you you're wrong. But it definitely gives you market information, data about what your valuation is. Right. And I don't think like Matt's dad making an investment in our company would set that value no. either. But if it's like professional. My company's worth a billion dollars now. What do you I mean? Know. Well, and I put 50 bucks in at that valuation. Yeah, and he got so point oh 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 oh. But dude, that's what, that's what the shares are trading at right now. So I'd like to liquidate most of mine. It's like the price of crypto. That's how it works. I think that actually can often be exchanged (laughs) for for straight cash a little better. Okay. So now we, and I think this is a good segue into the raising capital side. Um, This is uh, one of the hottest topics here at Startup Hustle and also in many, many, many of my non-recorded conversations. So where are you seeing people make common mistakes related to that? One, they don't understand that they are selling a security and there's a lot of compliance related to that. So they'll be like, my neighbor's giving me 10,000 and my college friend's giving me 50 and they're not accredited investors and they don't have the right documentation. They don't have the right disclosures. So they're already, it's already a hot mess. So kind of getting some advice, advice up front. I also think from an operational perspective, you have to be ready to go raise capital because it takes so much time to pitch um, to investors. And if you get turned down, you've just wasted so much of your time, which you should have been focused on operating your business yeah. and making it more valuable. Because I see a lot of people sometimes who are really engaged in the startup community in Kansas City, they get too wrapped up in the pitch. Raise, raising capital is a full-time job. and But when you're ready. at Like at Stackfire right now, we we get past January, right? You know, so it's not, it's January, new year. And all of a sudden I got like 20 people coming out of the woodwork, you know, people that that could be investors, could be acquirers, could be different things. And it's like, Oh my God, I could chase all these different rabbit holes, but it's just a lot of work. Agree. And it's a never any, and the more successful your business becomes, the more work that you get from this too, because there's always private equity groups. There's different growth stage people. There's people that want to offer you debt. And then you've got people 
like investment brokers all the time that are like, one of these days you'll sell your business. You need to know us. Like all these people, like, and you got people that do want to acquire you that are like, wow, that's a huge strategic partner that could acquire us. And it's hard to know where to sink your time. It's it's crazy. And I think that it's also difficult to figure out what approach to take because it feels on many days there's an infinite number of ways to to, to take, to raise capital, just meaning like the framework of it. You know, you mentioned there's debt, there's equity, there's all these different like approaches. Do you have, is there, you know, you have all different kinds of agreements and, and, you know, I think people don't usually understand convertible debt. Oh my gosh, no one, everybody's using convertible debt right now, but no one understands it. Well, then let's talk about it for a second. So convertible debt is used because the company doesn't want to do a valuation and they don't want to set their value. So they don't want to do a fixed price round. They want to decide that earlier. So it's a quick way to get money in. There's not as much due diligence. There's not as, I don't know if that's fair, but there's not as much documentation. The legal work's much quicker. It makes it easier because you're not fully agreeing on a price. Right. Now, with that convertible debt, in order to convert is reliant on additional capital being brought in. Right. The hard part, I think, is people are like, we're just going to take these convertible notes, but we're not going to raise capital. Well, I think the whole point of a convertible note is you're going to get a price round later. So unless you... There's usually kind of a bridge between, you know, rounds. Yes. So I think you just have to be prepared that you're going to do a round later to price that and have those notes convert. Cause we, we had that issue at Stackify where we had did some convertible notes. And then we got to a point where we, we really didn't have like a final qualifying event. And so we just had to kind of convert all the notes. Yeah. So like, like we had set it up like we had to have like an investor come in, like an institution, but we didn't. So right. we, all we had and by the, the way, if, if you're trying to raise convertible <laughs> debt, do not repeat the following words. We aren't planning on raising any more debt right. or yeah. taking Capital. any other investment past here because yes. that will, I mean, that's, you literally, let me translate that. We aren't planning on taking other investment, which means your investment will never turn into anything that is well-defined or yeah. or right. so you, tradable. Yeah. So if there's no investment, you probably should have a backup plan what happens. But investors in convertible notes want the upside of your rapidly growing tech company. Yeah. They don't want a return on uh, just their promissory note uh, rate of return. Well, they and that's, don't want that. And that's what happened with our notes is it had terms that, that basically said by this date, if it's not converted, it could convert at the previous round price or, or whatever, right. you know, different stipulations. And Which so, could be a much lower valuation yeah. and they get a 20% discount. Yep. There's, there's situations that I was just reading about one, uh, you know, where a company had taken in a pretty significant early round of convertible debt and then never raised any capital past that and literally had, you know, $20 million worth of investors sitting out there years later and they, and they had nothing. Some of them had sued, like they weren't happy about that at all. Um, because their that trigger didn't exist yeah. to convert the debt. It's got to be an expiration. It was just kind of hanging yeah. out there, and like the company had been profitable for a while. They didn't technically own anything. I mean, there was just a, a whole myriad of things. And you probably don't have a board seat, or you don't have any way to influence. I don't know those details, but I know that there was a lot of angry people. So we just took on a client from St. Louis who had used another law firm, and they have uh, convertible notes, but they have a formula like it's five times revenue at you know may 21st on 2021 so they have an out wow. so they have put a formula in and i think that's one way if you're not going to do a round like there's a backstop for getting paid and convert some converted uh, conversion amount 
And speaking of law firms, if you want to learn more about Sheila and Second Associates, and that's S-E-C-K, you can go to secondassociates.com. There you go. There's some free advertisement. We love that. Yeah. I figured we got it. We have to, I don't want to get an invoice for this part, <laughs> for this afterward, but um, okay. So raising capital, how, I mean, gosh, there's, hey, if you're listening, we have so many episodes on that yes. subject, go back yes. and check them out. Um so we talked a little bit about partnership issues, equity issues, raising capital, and that still re- pertains to ownership. What about just basic documentation and setup on like the state and federal level? I think that is that's the early on part, and the, really the least expensive to form your company, get a tax ID, get kind of all the you know business licenses that you need. That's pretty straightforward and isn't expensive. I mean, it's definitely worth the amount that you'll spend if you're having any thoughts that you're going to be a real deal company and you should do that early on. So I think the best thing in using legal services to like communicate with your attorney, what you're, you know, make sure that the expectations are clear on price, how many hours are going to be billed, what your goals are. Can you wait to do some of the documentation later? Can you amend the um, operating agreement when you raise capital and you'll live with a bad legal zoom draft for now. So there's a lot of ways you can manage that cost early on and still end up with a really good outcome over, you know, a period of time. So you mentioned like we, we've mentioned <laughs> the quote legal zoom thing a lot. Um, you know, they're, they're just going to send, they just send you a kit and it's not very well defined. Like, cause I've done this before. I mean, the, you can get set up on the state level, like they'll file the papers, they'll give you an EIN and stuff like that. And then they send you a bunch of stuff that you're supposed to fill out. And I think most people don't. They don't. Or it's completely wrong. We, yeah. I just have a pretty, really rapidly growing company and they had used LegalZoom and we took them over. Well, it costs a, you know, a lot. It's cost way more for us to redo it, redo it yeah. than if they had started because, for example, they had some convertible notes, but there was no equity to convert. They didn't have enough authorized shares. So they would have had to authorize shares or these people would have not legally had shares to get on right. conversion. I think some of that stuff makes sense for like the sole proprietor that yes. that's not a good setup for your business, by the way. Or maybe it's a small retail yeah. store or you're going to yeah. do some consulting out of your house and right. you're going to be a one-person show. Some of that might make sense. Yep. But if you're if you're planning on doing something a little bigger, and by the way, most businesses actually are similar to what we just, what we just described and defined. Yes. So um, now with that, I don't think we need legal documentation or disclaimers or contracts to play mixtape do we Mm -mm. nope are we just can we disclaim and really make sheila nervous that she voiced to us in a very um non-confidential way because my confidence has grown she 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 has had to be she's bound to a attorney client privilege with us but that doesn't go both ways so (laughs) All right. I pulled a card from the mixtape deck. And by the way, if you want to check out mixtape, the app, it's out. Um, All right. So the best song for speeding down the Pacific Coast Highway at sunset. I'm going with Going the Distance by Cake. Oh, I like that. He's going the distance. And by the way, I'm going for speed. I'm going the pop version, Party in the USA by Miley Cyrus. Oh. Interesting. I, my daughter was singing that the other day, and I'm still conflicted Convertible, about Convertible, Party in the... I mean, I'm going to do uh, Life is a Highway by Tom. Ooh. Also a good answer. All right, you can't vote for yourself. Man, I'm going to do this a couple episodes in a row. I'm voting for Watson. Me too, and I thought I was going to have the winner. You won. Wow, I'm C- voting for congratulations. you. Congratulations. <laughs> Party in the USA. In the most meaningless vote since the last time... I voted for a Democrat in Kansas. 
Oh, is this a good time to point out that our president doesn't know that Kansas City is actually in Missouri? Yeah, he literally tweeted, did you mm. see this, about Everywhere. the Super Bowl? Oh, my God. I'm going to try but to... New ra- York City is also in New Jersey, right? Right. I'm trying to raise public <laughs> awareness. <laughs> Kansas City is technically in Kansas and Missouri. It is. It's in both. But the Chiefs play in Missouri. It's but I also do think many all the people that live in Kansas feel like the Chiefs are their team. It's such a well, sure. cross-state lines kind of thing. But technically... And by the way, the San Francisco 49ers are not in San Francisco. No, they're in San And the New York Giants are not in New York. Um, by the, the way, I've, I've, been, I've been to the Niners' <laughs> new stadium. New the Niners' new stadium in Santa Clara is technically closer to San Jose than it is to San Francisco. Yeah, yeah. Went to sneaker. Con this is Chiefs' in the building Kingdom. next to it. it yes, is. it is. What a great whole Midwest is are red. You, by the way, are you guys going to the parade on Wednesday? I don't know. No, but they close schools. I typically uh, I managed to turn the startup hustle sign red right after we. Took Everybody pictures. will have red flu on Wednesday. True that you talk about, and by the way, I'm looking forward to some of our guests later this week um, because we'll talk about how Super Bowl affects a city. But one of the things is, you know, we'll have a parade. They will shut school. School yeah. will not be a thing. I mean, you would have to for the downtown Kansas City school districts because all the roads will be closed and everything else. You have to. Our lowest revenue month in 12 years of business was the month that the Royals were in the Super uh, Really? In the World Series. Oh, wow. Oh. So many entrepreneurs. Yeah, that makes have sense. Tickets and the games yeah, the World the Well, the yeah, World Series every is day. A, the World yeah. Series and playoffs in baseball occur over a series of days and weeks, yeah. Yeah. too. So, yes. like, the Super Bowl was pretty finite. It's right. not here in our hometown. When the Royals were in the World Series, I mean, you, between playoffs and the World Series, it's a it's like, an everyday thing. Well, that's about 21 days yeah. because we had them go the distance. Yep. And there's two rounds of playoffs and then the series. So. And if you're entrepreneurial and you might have a flexible schedule and you just like to go to, you know, you're probably outgoing or just want to go to that. We had, it was dead. Yeah. I'm interested to see how our, our sweet and great event on Wednesday goes. Post Malone. Down, right down. <laughs> I know, but right after the, the, the uh, parade, the parade yeah. and uh, directly on the parade route. Yeah. Not Good only on that. one side of the venue, but both. Good luck with that. I bet he's a hot ticket. Yeah, it was very popular, but man, I'm just, you know, the, the talk about first world problems. I'm uh, concerned that I'm not, my parking space will have been sold to someone else. <laughs> and, and that was going to upset me if I'm there. There might be somebody in your parking spot right now getting their parade spot. Yeah, I get it. And if that is you, <laughs> get out of my parking spot, man. All right. I'm going to be tweeting hashtag full scale when I'm there Friday night. There you go. That's sweet and greet. That's uh, what's Thursday, Friday night? It, Friday. Is it Thursday? Thursday. Are you going to Miranda Lambert? Are you someone's guest? Innovate her, Casey. There you go. I was like, I need to know something if that wasn't. Yes. I I got confused there for a second. Yeah. We, uh, I asked Lauren, she's been on the show to innovate her. I'm like, am I being openly sexist by inviting, by giving innovate her tickets for Kelly Clarkson, Miranda Lambert (laughs) and other things that seem to clearly be girl power. Yeah. But that's fine. I will be in the suite. Not post I will be in the suite on Thursday with 15 women, most likely. And good for me. Um, okay, so back to the hustle here. Uh, a couple things on the way out. Uh, we ha- I have a note here talking about uh, specific vendor terms and how that is sometimes a challenge. So we see, what I see, and it causes our clients so many problems, is that they enter into these agreements with no termination clause. So you have a provider who's costing you you know, five grand a month, you have no way to terminate. I've had more clients end up in litigation over terminating vendor contracts 
even if the service is terrible. So if you are entering into any kind of vendor contract, make sure that you have an ability to get out of it if they're not performing. I know it seems so simple, but it's the most difficult thing to negotiate, especially with you know, a larger service provider. Unless you're hiring full scale, which you should then check the box for infinite. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we just had this problem at Secfi. We've got a tool we're using from a vendor and it's not working right now and they aren't fixing it. And they just sent us our annual renewal and want us to mail them a bunch of money. Right. I'm like, uh, no. But then they'll say, There's, look at the contract. You owe us this money. I'm like, I'm not renewing this. This shit doesn't even work. I know, but I've ended up with litigation over the same fact yeah. pattern. It's, yeah. it's, like the most simple, but it is the most problematic for people well, who I, end up owing a lot of money. I think one thing to consider as well is if you are a vendor is the language of your contract that you give to people. Because um, while it might sound super awesome to sign lengthy vendor agreements in, an early, in the early life cycle of your business, you might look at those in a year and be like, oh my God, what have we done? Yeah. Right. Or we don't need this or we've pivoted and it's just not something that's good for or us. this is like wildly unprofitable right. and now right. I'm chained to it, which is, you know, things change. And I think that people make mistakes when it comes to that about not doing things like, you know, giving some language that, a, 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 um, either, you know, your cost of doing business is going to r- rise over time. That's right. just a simple economic fact. Right. And, um, therefore if your price is locked in for years upon years, you know, that, and we've talked about this a lot in past episodes, just because you, what appears to be a whale of a client swims near the boat doesn't mean that's the, the, the best path for you to take. Agreed. Because that whale requires all hands on deck to get it on the deck. And you might find that that creates a lot of opportunity costs for you. And the whale often knows that you're a young startup and they will yes. beat you down on price all day long. The whale yep. will swallow mm-hmm. the minnow. So I like things like Casey Collective, shout out yeah. to them, that can help get discounts or free services and stuff. Right. That's actually cool. a great mention. And, you know, they'll, they have a upcoming, it's a free startup stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and there's other groups that do this sort of thing. This is yeah. more of a Kansas City thing, but there are other, right. like Brex reward cards. They have some, if you sign up for Brex and you can get free to AWS and right. free this. And, and that's, that's have a lot of clients that use those. Stuff like that. And there's just, that's a sales channel for some of these big vendors. But if someone's going to give you free stuff and you don't have to negotiate that whole thing yourself, like look for do those it. things. We signed yeah. up for yeah. Brex and all of a sudden I get an extra $5,000 free on Amazon Web Services. I'm like, Sold. cool. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know why, but okay. Sold. We'll take it. <laughs> we'll take it. Hey, but that's the point is so those companies realize that they have, they can leverage the size of their constituents, yeah. as we'll call it, or clients. And and that's a big sales channel for someone yeah. like AWS well, or whatever. KC, they, what do we need to do to get more people to sign up I, here? I reached out to KC Collective because they had like a special discount for Carta. Yeah. And so then I reached out to Carta. I'm like, hey, how do I get this special discount? I'm getting it. All I do is ask. Also, Carta will, if you, for some reason, they're law firm focused. If you sign up through your law firm, you also get a discount. Ah, okay. You could have stacked discounts stack at Stackify. Up. Yeah, stack them up. I mean, I would think that you would always look for a stack. And we are a big <laughs> fan of Carta at Second Associates. Oh, okay. I'm, really, I'm it, new. It's a really great way to manage your cap table. Okay. Okay. There's a, there's various tools out there for that. And, Shout out you to know, that. It's like, you know, what are you going to do? Okay. So, Sheila, you're the founder of a law firm. Um, and as we end episodes of Startup Hustle, we do what we call the Founders Freestyle. And that is really just a chance for you to say whatever you want to say on your way out 
And I know we this so much of this episode was centric around the original partnership agreements. I think that's really where things kind of fail early for people. But um, and that's not a, a suggestion on what to talk about. But you can really go wherever you want and say, "What are your closing arguments?" Yes. What I would say is before you enter into a partnership agreement, before you even need to call your lawyer, you need to like talk culturally. Like, do we have the same goals? Does this, my partner want a lifestyle business or do we hope to, you know, really grow this and launch a major company? Um, is that person going to work in the business? You know, so making sure that you have a cultural fit is huge. And then talking with an attorney about all these different triggering events, whether it's death, your uh, divorce, you know, if somebody's disabled, is it okay if they're a passive owner? There's just so many things around the partnership agreement and how you can, you know, buy equity out if it goes badly. You know what they say? The only kind of ship that doesn't sail is a partnership. (laughs) That's what they say. He's here on the show for this very reason. I'm stealing that joke. Yeah. The, a lot, but truth, a lot of businesses fail. I don't know what the percentage is because of legal problems. And my first business, Fin Solutions, should have failed because of legal problems. You know, we had a business partner that was a problem and couldn't get rid of him. And then he sued us. And, you know, you go through these things. Right. And um, can be very problematic. Right. And so it's, it's just interesting. And that's why vesting is is great and just trying to keep it simple. And, and you have to protect the you have to play defense a little bit. Right. right. And, and you, you, have you to set things up for things go wrong and. And make great clarity. Like if you are doing these bad things, we're the other partners can buy you out and this is what you're going to get paid. And that needs to be in the partnership agreement very clearly. And I think it avoids litigation. And I, and your point earlier about what is the goal of the company, right? Like, you know, we have these conversations sometimes about full scale. I mean, is our, is this, how big do we want this to be? How fast are we going to grow? How much risk do we want to take? Like, these are all questions that you have to have with your business partners and which are not in alignment. Which are questions that come up with potential future partners or investors as we, you know, we haven't gotten too serious about that, but as we've stuck the toe in the pool, you know, that's something that came up. Would either of you like to add anything else before I, before I shut this sucker down? As much, yes. One last thing. Yeah, yeah. that's why I asked. As much as everyone hates, you know, attorneys have a bad name. Sometimes like it's worth every penny to get some great legal advice early on. So, uh, you know, and before I close this out, and I've got a couple things to say that I think are worth leaving the ep- making it all the way to the end of this episode. If you're listening, well, first off, you can go to Second Associates, S E C K Associates dot com, and check out what Sheila does. We've used their firm before; they do a good job. Um, and it's you know, regardless of whether you're in Kansas City or anywhere, um, they can help you. So, now you mentioned that lawyers aren't all bad. I mentioned my dad's an attorney, and I've been around attorneys my whole life. Um, there's good ones and there's bad ones, and they're and and my notes for um, Sheila mentioned finding a good fit for your partners in your business. Well, I think you also need to try to find a good fit with your attorney. Uh, a lot of people have a tendency to just grab the first one that they find. They're like, my 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 wife's cousin yes. John is an attorney. Well, there's a shitload of attorneys out there, and they don't all specialize in what you need to do. Agree. So sometimes people look at legal fees and they say, oh, well, the this is so expensive. Well, there's a reason that that's expensive. That it's expensive expensive per hour. And that's because someone with targeted and very deep knowledge on the things you need knowledge about can give you that information in a very short amount of time. Yes, And that's what you're paying for. You're not necessarily paying for one hour of service. You're paying for 
the lifetime of accumulation of that knowledge, which is why you see a lot of attorneys that are old. Like they say, attorneys don't ever really retire. They just play more golf. Kind of look at it like a mentor in some way. Yeah, right? well, but the, it's because the as as you ac- continue to acquire this experience and understanding, you see things that have gone well that have not gone well, and it, there's just a whole world. Uh, you know, laws change, situations change, everything changes. Um, so I think if you're going to find an attorney, it's good to find someone that already has uh, that specializes in what you need help with. Otherwise you're just going to pay someone to have to go acquire. They'll ha- they're going to go have to go do a lot of research and figure it out. And I think that's a good way to run up a big legal bill. Or to just not get very educated advice. Yeah. Right. Everyone right, can Google. Right. And then another thing, and I think people don't necessarily think about this first off when it comes to their attorneys, you know, you're the right attorney has a whole lot of other clients that sometimes can they can kind of help you network into other people. Yeah, and, and, and that's not necessarily a primary goal, but we, you know, I look at different, different scenarios. Like you do business with a hell of a lot of local businesses. Right. Now that said is if, and I've had these conversations with you, you know, like if you had the ability to introduce two people to each other, you might, it's not necessarily part of what you, you promise, but that can exist. And and then I think, and, and the, the final part of it is, you know, really, as you talk to an attorney, you've got to start considering like, is this person always going to take my best interest at heart and, or are they, or am I just a column and a billable hours right. situation? Cha-ching, cha-ching, yeah. Cha-ching. And that's the thing is like, you know, I mean, they do have to generate money and they do have to generate revenue, but you know, uh, is the advice that I'm going to get, ha- does it have a level of purity and, and non-selfishness that, you know, directs, Hey, this is, I think we should litigate if that's the answer for everything. We never say that. Well, right. But well, that's good because you, that's expensive. And I think there's so many things that can be worked out without litigation. Sure. But we like to lead with the client goals. We like to think that we are coming from a very, customized, you know, pro client perspective. Yeah. Yep. I agree. Well, once again, go to second associates. If you want to check out what they do, you can see the more, learn more about the business that Matt and I own at fullscale.io, which by the way, has a blog with very, very informative articles about how to do a whole lot of stuff. See y'all next time. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Startup Hustle with Matt DeCarsi and Matt Watson. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit startuphustle.xyz. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and subscribe. And we'll catch you next time on Startup Hustle.